of Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 11. Remember we have Brother Dan Mundy Sunday night. Somebody already made a comment that we have Brother Mundy on Sunday. And, uh, but Brother Mundy is coming on Sunday night and he is a great singer and, and preacher and you'll enjoy having Brother and Sister Mundy with us on Sunday. Amen. So uh, praise the Lord. Book of Revelation chapter number 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Tonight I'm going to talk to you for a little while about the why and the how of Pentecostal worship. The why and the how of Pentecostal worship. People who are not familiar with the apostolic church are often confused about and even scared of the way we worship. You know, for me, I was raised in the church. It was, it, it was, there was, I don't remember a time where I wasn't used to, to people worshiping in church. Um, but I know that people haven't always been raised in Pentecostal churches, and they are confused, sometimes scared of the way we worship. And for those of us who are, are accustomed, have maybe come out of a more reserved spiritual tradition, our services are unusual to some, terrifying to others. I've had people tell me that they've come to church, and when we began to worship God, that they were so scared but that was something about what they felt that they just couldn't get away from. And uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, when we worship God, it's neither unusual from a biblical perspective, nor, of course, is it anything to fear. It is a Bible doctrine. It is a Bible teaching. And uh, the Bible prescribes to us that it's the expression of our joy and gratitude to from, from us, the church, to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so tonight I have two purposes. Um, I want to inform those who may not be uh, familiar, maybe haven't grown up uh, around our kind of worship. Maybe you're newer to the church. You're watching online, perhaps. And I do want to welcome our online audience. Um, and maybe the way we worship is unfamiliar. And I want to talk about uh, why we worship like we do, how we worship. And then I also want to reestablish to our church family the uh, biblical foundation for the way that we worship God. The Revelation 4 and 11, the verse that I started with, Thou art worthy, O Lord. How many believe the Lord is worthy? Yes, Amen. I believe God is worthy to be praised. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. I will tell you that we were created to bring God pleasure, to bring God joy. Our creation was to fulfill something that God desired, and that was fellowship with men and women and people who chose to worship Him. He is worthy, and not only is he worthy, he's worthy to receive glory. That word glory is the word doxa in the Greek. It's where the word doxology comes from. It means to praise and to worship. 
It comes from a root word, which means to be of opinion or to think or to judge something. And so when we talk about giving God glory, what we're doing is we're talking about expressing our opinion of God. Our worship is an expression of how we think and feel about God. And so when the Bible says that he's worthy to receive glory, it means that he is worthy for us to take the time to express how we feel about him. There's nothing that touches the heart of God quite like a free will offering of praise and worship that comes from people who don't have to do it. Amen. You will find that, uh, that, 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 you know, God has angels to worship him. We know that there were angels created to worship him. They're in, in the presence of the angels. The Bible says that they are there to worship him, giving him glory day and night. But those beings were created and demanded to worship him. But when somebody who doesn't have to worship him does so, you know, I, I like it. I, I like it when I, tell, when, I, when I tell my girls, okay, give me a hug, and I still like it. But I like it more, well, I used to like it. They don't do it much anymore. But uh, I liked it more when they just come up of their own will and gave me a hug. I think I told you all, maybe it was recently, I, I've gotten to the age where I tell the same stories over and over and over and when I tell them to you, it's like I'm telling it for the first time, and you've heard it a thousand times. But, but I, when Ellie was little one time, I took her with me uh, to a hospital. I was going to pray for somebody, and, and uh, I told her when we got done at the hospital, I was going to take her to eat. And, and so she was, just, she was just a little thing, and I was carrying her in my arm on the way out of the hospital to the car. And she had, she had both hands face and she said you are the best best daddy in the whole whole world and in my mind I thought man that's awesome and then she said now will you take me to McDonald's <laughs> she was buttering me up she was trying to get what she wanted she learned at a young age and she's perfected the art I cooked supper last night and she wanted me to add something else to the menu and I told her no that uh, we had enough fixed and uh, so she went upstairs and when she came back down I had fixed what she asked for she said I knew you were going to do it <laughs> but there's something about it when your child just comes up and tells you they love you without you having to ask for it or having to prompt it right. and I'm going to tell you there's something in that, in, that touches the heart of God when people choose to worship him it's one thing when the pastor says, come on, everybody, let's worship the Lord. And God loves it, and God likes it, but God likes it more when we just worship him without having to be asked to. He loves to hear us worship and loves to see us worship him from a heart of thanksgiving. God is looking for true worshipers, John 4, 23 and 24. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, I want to be a true worshiper. Amen. I want to be a true worshiper. I, I don't want to just be somebody that calls myself a worshiper. I want to be a true worshiper. And true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now notice this phrase. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, my mind is going back 
to where I pastored before I moved here. So don't you all try to figure out who I'm talking about. But I pastored some folks. Man, they wouldn't live right. They wouldn't live right if you chained them to the church pew. And then they'd worship God, and man, God would bless them. And I'm like, God, do you not know what I know? Do you not see what I see? But there's something about God that no matter what, worship touches his heart. Because the Father seeketh such to worship him. If you want to know what God is looking for when we come to the house of God, he's looking for a true worshiper to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. That touches the heart of God. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father of heaven and earth is not, is not looking for somebody that has more talent than somebody else. He's not looking for somebody that has better financial status or what he's looking for is somebody to worship him. I was, I was preaching many years ago. I was 18, 19 years old. I was preaching a revival in the mountains of western North Carolina. And uh, in that revival, uh, they had an old upright piano that half the keys, it, well, they might have worked, but the person working them didn't know how to work them. And so I don't know if the keys worked or not, but, but the worker of the keys didn't know what they were doing. And uh, they had a bass, they had a bass guitar and a snare drum, and the guy played the same beat on the snare drum regardless of the song. The guy hit the same two notes on the bass guitar no matter what. It was the same beat, the same tempo, the same two notes over and over. And uh, it might have been, it might have been the worst musical uh, revival. It's one of those where I thought, I know I can't sing but I'm not the worst in the house right now. <laughs> but you know what? With all of that lack of talent, when those people began to worship God, the Holy Ghost moved. I think we baptized like 11 people in that revival. God filled that. It was because people worshiped. Amen. If we'll worship God, God will move because that's what he's looking for. Amen. God, God, you know, the, the, there's a lot of requirements in the Bible. I know I say this all the time, too. There's a lot of requirements in the Bible. Not just, not just everyone is qualified to preach and teach. Not just everybody is qualified for certain things in the Bible. But when it comes to worship, everybody can worship God. Anybody can worship God. And so God responds when people worship him. Some of the best, some of the best Worship services that I've ever been in in my life have been in prisons. It's a fact. I preached at a ladies' penitentiary in Ohio that was, was maybe the most powerful church service I've ever been in. 68, 68 uh, ladies got the Holy Ghost in that one service. A powerful move of the Holy Ghost. They came hungry, and, and there were all kinds of criminals in that, in that room. But they worship God. And there's something about the heart of God that he will respond to a worshiper no matter what almost. Amen. And so, and so the Father seeketh such to worship him. And so Psalms 150 and 1, Psalms chapter 150, we'll spend, we're going we're to talk about, about this chapter, all six verses. Verse number 1, praise ye the Lord. 
Now, that is, that is a uh, directive. It starts out with the words, praise ye. In modern English, praise you, or you praise. It is a direct commandment to you as an individual. This verse is to you individually. Praise ye the Lord. It is a directive to the reader or the listener. It is not a request. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not you ought to, you ought to think about praising him. Uh, I think you should praise him. No, it says praise ye the Lord. It does not leave room for option. This is a direct command in the scripture. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the ferment of his power. This is only, worship is only to be directed to the Lord. We should not worship other people. We should not worship personality. We should only worship the Lord. And then it says praise him in his sanctuary, in the holy place, in the house of God, in the church. Amen. When we come to the house of God, we are required by the scripture to praise him. Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. When we walk through the doors of this building, we ought to come with a heart of praise and thanksgiving to the merciful great God that saved us and called us. Amen. This is a house of worship. Our priority ought to be worship. Our heart ought to be worship. Doesn't matter who's singing, doesn't matter who's preaching, doesn't matter what they're, they're singing, we come to worship God because this is his sanctuary. And so it said, praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. I pray that Bethlehem Church never gets too fancy, too high class or whatever you want to call it, that we don't really worship the Lord to where we're more concerned about what other people think than we are about worshiping God. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Are you glad to be in his sanctuary right now? Somebody ought to reach up and touch the face of God and say you're the best, best daddy in the whole world. Praise God in his sanctuary. The word sanctuary shows, it, it leads us that it is a safe place, a sanctified place, a holy place. Praise God in his holy place, in his house. But if you be tempted to think that praise is only confined and restricted to the house of God, the very next phrase said, praise him in the firmament of his power. The word firmament means the expanse of his power. The word power means his strength or his might. Praise him in his sanctuary and praise him everywhere where he is powerful. In the expanse of his power. If, if you can find anywhere in the universe where God is not powerful, then that is the one place where you don't have a responsibility to praise him. If you can find anywhere in the world where God is not powerful, then you don't have to praise him in that place. But everywhere else, we have a responsibility to praise him. We praise him in his sanctuary and praise him 
in the firmament of his power. Everywhere God's power is is where we should praise him. Amen. Thank the Lord. Why praise him? The Bible says in the next verse, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him for the great things he has done. Praise him for his powerful actions. Amen. Can we just admit that not one of us would be here if it wasn't for his mighty acts? If he wouldn't have pulled us out of darkness and pulled us out of sin and false doctrine and pulled us out of the weakness of our flesh and humanity, the temptation of our sin, and he, by his mighty action, the greatest mighty act that he ever did was die on an old rugged cross for you and I. And he looked beyond our fault, saw our needs. He looked beyond our weakness and our sin, and he died for us anyway. That's the mightiest action that anybody could ever do. Praise him for his mighty acts, for every miracle he's ever done, for every blessing he's ever given, for every time he's ever shown mercy or grace or kindness or long-suffering, for every time he loved you when you were unlovable. Praise him for his mighty acts. We should praise him for the things that he has done. Amen. But it's not only about his actions. The Bible said praise him according to his excellent greatness. The word according means in proportion to, to, in, to in, in, in relation to, relative to, corresponding to, or dependent on, based on, according to, based on his excellent greatness, in proportion to his excellent greatness, corresponding to his excellent greatness, in relation to his excellent greatness. The word excellent means here abundant, according to his abundant greatness. The word greatness means magnitude or magnificence. I like this, I like this phrase. I hadn't, I hadn't heard this one. According to his stoutness. I like that. His, his strength, how strong he is. According to his excellent greatness. So we praise him for his mighty acts. But if he doesn't do anything else for the rest of eternity... We still are obligated to praise him for his excellent greatness because of how great he is. Amen. Not only for what he's done, because sometimes we can't see what he's doing. Have you ever been in a place in life where, where by faith God was working, but you didn't really see it? Maybe things were going on in life and you didn't really know what was happening. You couldn't figure it out. You didn't know why you were going through what you were going through. And maybe you couldn't perceive his mighty acts. When you can't see his mighty acts, we're still responsible to praise him according to his excellent greatness. And so, according to, in proportion to. So our praise is a reflection of how great we think God is. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. Our praise is a direct reflection of how great we think God is according to his excellent greatness. And so there's two things that push us in praise. One is when we think about his mighty acts, when I think about where he brought me from and what he brought me out of and what he kept me from and what he brought me through. And when I think about 
all the blessings that he's given me, my family, my church, my church family, all the great things that God has added daily loading me with benefits, the great things that when I think of his mighty acts, it prompts me to praise him. But beyond that, we, even if he doesn't do anything for me right now, when I think about how great he is, how merciful and mighty and wonderful, we are pushed and prompted to praise him. I'm telling you that praise is one of the most vital doctrines of the church because the Father seeketh such to worship him. The next verse, Psalms 153 and 4, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals and praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. These are physical actions. These are, these are putting our bodies in motion with what we're thinking about him. It's one thing to know what he's done and to know how good he is, but it's not enough just to have it in our mind. It's not enough just to think it. These next verses put the praise into action. It means that it goes from how we think to how we act. It involves us in the action of worshiping him. Some churches actually preach that it's wrong to have music in the church for worship. Uh, the scripture is clear in telling us that musical instruments can be used to worship God. The talent that he's blessed people with. Amen. My, my notes say the talent that he has blessed us with, but that's, that's a, a typo because I don't have any. So the, the, ta the talent that he's blessed some of us with should be used to glorify God. Amen. God didn't give people talent to be used for the world. He gave them talent to be used to worship him. God never intended for musicians and singers to give their talent to talking about sex and drugs and, and all of that mess that they sing about in the world. If he gave talent at all, it was given for people to worship him with. I wish somebody would say praise the Lord. Amen. So, it was given to glorify God. Many denominations do not believe in the outward expression of worship. However, verse 4 clearly tells us to praise him in the dance. And try as I might, I've never found a way to dance in praise to the Lord with my brain only. Psalms 150 and 6, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath. I mentioned a while ago there's qualifications in the scripture for the priesthood, for the ministry, for the pastor, for the elder, for the bishop. There's, there's qualifications for the teacher. There's all these, these qualifications in the scripture for different forms of ministry. But when it comes to praise, there's only one single qualification, and that is let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. If you're breathing, you qualify to worship God. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. The only people required to praise God are those that are not breathing. And so if you don't feel like praising the Lord that right now, that's okay. Hold your breath until you change your mind. Because if you're breathing, the Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And then it ends with a directive again, praise ye the Lord. 
not optional, not, requi- not requested, but we are told to praise him. Can somebody say amen? amen? Psalms 150, verse 17 and 18. The dead praise not the Lord. You want to know why somebody doesn't worship? The dead praise not the Lord. You want to know why some people don't have any spiritual desire to praise God? The dead praise not the Lord. Neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forward and forevermore. And then another directive, praise the Lord. The word bless is a Hebrew word, barak. It means to kneel. It means to bless God in adoration, to praise him. We will praise the Lord. We will bless the Lord. It's our, look, it didn't say, it, it said we will bless the Lord. The mind had been made up. Let me tell you that, that most of worship is a mindset. That no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what I'm dealing with, no matter what my troubles and trials are, We will bless the Lord. You've got to have a mindset of a worshiper. That no matter what, God, I'm going to praise you. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Psalms 116, 12 through 14. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? That's a powerful question. God, what should I give to you? For all that you've given me. What shall I render unto the Lord? God, what can I give you for all the benefits? God, you brought me through so much stuff. Not only out of seven billion people you let me hear the gospel. and Then then you let me be baptized in your name and my sins washed away. And then you, you fill me with your spirit. You gave me such a wonderful group of of church family to to be able to serve you with. You gave me a wonderful wife and two wonderful daughters, and you've blessed me with everything. God, you give me strength in my body and health. And when I didn't know what to do, you made a way where it seemed like there was no way. God, when I didn't think I could make it, somehow I made it with your grace and mercy. So God, what can I render to the Lord for all the benefits that he's given me God what could I possibly give you in return well the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take the cup of salvation I'm not going to waste your mercy by being a sinner I'm going to get saved I'm going to serve you and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord I'll pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people I will pay my vows unto the Lord. That's what I'm going to give you, God, for all the things you've given me. That's what I'm going to give you in the presence of all his people, in front of everybody, God, I'm going to pay my vows. But how, God, will I do that? Psalms 56 and 12, thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? 
I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay my vows in front of everybody. I'm not going to worry about what people think about me. And here's how I'm going to do it. Thy vows are upon me, God. I have a vow to you because you've been so good to me. And here's how I'm going to pay it. I will render praises unto thee. I'm preaching about the how and the why of, way of worship. Praise is powerful in the lives of God's people. God uses praise to defeat enemies. 2 Chronicles 20, 21, and 22. And he, when he had consulted with the people, just a little background, the Assyrian army under Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, had come and laid siege on Jerusalem and Judea and Judah. And, and they had, had vastly outnumbered the most powerful army, the most powerful army, in the world had laid siege against against the people they were outnumbered I read one I read one uh, one uh, commentary that said they were outnumbered 20 soldiers to every one citizen of the city and so he goes to the Lord and he says God I, I don't know what to do he said he said he he told him all and he said neither know I what to do and then he said but our eyes are upon thee. So the Lord began to tell him what to do. And the Bible said, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. They've got soldiers. We've got singers. They've got archers and spear throwers and chariot riders and sword wielders. And we've got singers and people that should praise the, Lord, the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, can you imagine being that army? They, they got their armor on, they got their chariots, they got their sword, their spears, their bow, their arrow. They got, they got, I mean, they're, they're lined up in, in battle array and they're ready. They're, they're thinking that coming out of the city is gonna be an army that they can fight with and they're ready to shed blood. And coming out of the city comes a bunch of men and women and children and they don't have swords, and they don't have spears, and they don't have bow and arrow, they don't have chariots, they don't have armor, they don't have any of that. But as they're coming out of the gate of the city, they start hearing a song come up. And they went out before the army. They stood in front of the enemy, and the enemy's got their swords out. And, and here's what the people from the city say. Praise the Lord. It's what it says. They went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Can you imagine what those soldiers must have been thinking? These people are too crazy to kill. They get out there, they stand in front of them, they say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And then they start up a song. And when they began to sing and to praise, they started singing and praising God. They started worshiping the Lord. Can you imagine? I, I, I'm having a hard time imagining what they were thinking while they're praising God. But they think this may be the last thing I ever do. But if I die now, I'm going to die praising God. If this takes me out, it's going to take me out as a worshiper. And when they begin to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. The Lord set ambushments against them. 
Ambush, you know what an ambush is? It's when you get hit by something you didn't expect. I mean, they were expecting a good old-fashioned blood and guts war. They weren't expecting a praise and worship service. But it ambushed them to the point they don't know how to fight again. Look, let me tell you something. The devil knows how to fight with anger and screaming and hollering and cursing and fighting. But the devil don't know how to fight against worship and praise and grace and mercy. Hallelujah. Amen. The devil knows how to fight when you cuss at, cuss at him. But when you say praise the Lord, he can't do anything about it. It ambushes the enemy in your life. If you're fighting the devil right now, you ought to ambush that devil by just saying, praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. I'm going through it, but I'm still praising God. Woo, glory to God. I'm talking about why we worship, the how and why of worship. And they were smitten. Don't tell me that it's just a bunch of noise, a bunch of emotionalism. Don't tell me it's just a bunch of a, bu a bunch of, of hyper-spiritual people just crazy out of their mind. Don't tell me that when I got Bible proof that when people praise God, the enemy is defeated. Amen. If we do less thinking about our enemy and more thinking about God, if we do less worrying about the enemy and the problem and we do more praising God through our problem, we'd have a lot more victory and a lot less defeat. Somebody ought to praise him right now. Somebody going through hell on earth ought to praise God and ambush your enemy with the joy of the Lord. It is your strength. I wish somebody would praise him right now. I know it's a Wednesday night Bible study, but my God, I feel it right now. Something happens when people praise God. Hallelujah. word praise there is the word halal. It means to boast, to rave, to celebrate. They're standing in front of their enemy and they're boasting about how great God is. They're surrounded by an army. And they're telling that army how great their God is. And then where it says that they began to sing and to praise, that's a different word. That's the word yada. It means to hold out the hand, to revere with worship with extended hands, to give thanks with hands extended to God, using our physical body to express our worship to God. Many say the outward expression of praise is irreverent to his presence. I've heard people say, well, it's irreverent to act that way. However, you cannot separate the physical expression of praise because that takes away the essence of what the words mean. So I'm going to ask a simple question tonight about what is more irreverent, to obey the Word of God or to disobey the Word of God? I submit that irreverence is disobedience to the Word of God. And the Word of God mandates that we worship Him and praise Him. And so those who do not are irreverent. Those who sit and stare when God says, praise me, those are the irreverent ones. People who gather in cathedrals all over the world and talk about the crazy Pentecostals, they're the irreverent ones because they're not obeying what the Bible says about worshiping the Lord. Let me hurry. Psalms 47 and 6, we can praise him by singing. The Bible says, Psalms 47, 6, sing praises to God, sing praises. 
Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. I, I don't know that I don't think I gave him the next verse, verse 7. Sing, it's six is sing praises unto God. Sing praises, sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. Sing ye praises with understanding. We have a lot of new converts and a lot of new people that they're just now starting to learn what we learned a long time ago. About God that is merciful and will keep you. Sing ye praises with understanding. When I worship God, I worship because I understand what he's brought me out of. How he's been with me through my trials and tests. How he's blessed me when I certainly didn't deserve it. And so we sing praises with understanding. Psalms 30 and 4, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his. And give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. When you think and remember the goodness of God, there should come a response from the heart of the Christian. Amen. We praise him by clapping our hands. Psalms 47 and 1, oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We clap our hands to the one who has won the victory for us. The one who has won the victory and shared the spoils of victory with you and I. Applause is a common human reaction to the presence of someone who we respect and honor. I've had the honor of meeting two presidents of the United States, both of these men. When they came into the room, the crowd received our chief executive with applause, a standing ovation. I've seen athletes and actors and politicians of all different levels receive a similar response. The world has no issue clapping for an actor or athlete or politician. However talented they may be, they never died for sin. They never healed anybody. They never set anybody free. And so if the world can clap for their luminaries, then why can we not clap our hands and worship to the king of all kings that gave his all to us. And the Bible said, clap your hands all ye people and shout with the voice of triumph. We should not be more willing to do for a man what we won't do for God. If you've ever clapped your hands for a politician or an actor or an athlete or anybody that's done anything, you ought to do it for God right now. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. I'm talking about a God who is worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. When Pete Rose broke the all-time hit record for Major League Baseball, the, camp, the crowd gave him a 23-minute standing ovation. In the 1960s, Robert Kennedy received a 43-minute standing ovation at the Democratic National Convention. The Guinness Book of World Records claimed that the opera star Placido Domingo received a one-hour and 20-minute ovation, including 101 curtain calls. Not one of them died on a cross. 
and saved a soul. Yet few in the world think that these ovations were out of order. Well, I think it's not out of order to give God a hand clap of praise when we come into his house to worship him. Amen. Does he not deserve it? Doesn't he deserve it? And so we praise him by singing, by clapping our hands, by shouting. We praise him by lifting our hands. Psalms 134 and 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. We lift up our hands to the Lord in worship as an acknowledgement of his presence among us. Lifted hands has two symbolic meanings around the world and both are applicable to worship. Lifted hands is the universal sign of victory. Cultural anthropologists have found that in nearly all societies and cultures the world over, no matter how civilized or remote those cultures are, that when someone wins, whether it's a race or a game or whatever, it is, it is in man when victory comes to race. You see it when someone crosses the finish line in a race. You see it when somebody scores in a, in a game. It is a universal sign of victory that is inside of man. And one of the reasons that we lift our hands in worship is because, because of the one we're worshiping, we've got victory. You may not have victory without worship, but with worship, you've always got the victory. Thanks be to God that causes us always to triumph in him. It is a sign of Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Lifted hands is a sign of surrender. We lift our hands in a sign of surrender to God to reflect his lordship over our lives. Now look, I don't know, I, I, I am not God. I am not God. John the Baptist in, in the Gospels, he said, I am not the Christ. And so listen, I am not the Christ. I'm not God. I don't have the right to tell God what he ought to like and not like. Well, God, you ought to be happy with me showing up and sitting here. Well, maybe he ought to be, but he's God. And I don't have the right to tell him what he ought to like. Well, God, you ought to just be thankful I'm here. Well, maybe that's how I think, but I don't have the right to think for God. So what I, I don't know why it blesses God for me to lift up my hands. I don't know why he likes it, but he's God. And he said, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And so I don't know why you like it, God, but since you like it, I'm going to do it. Because it's not about me, it's about you. It's not about what I want, it's about what you want. And this blesses you. So God, because you bless me. God, when I got out of church Sunday night, you bless me. You bless me Monday, you bless me Tuesday, you bless me today. God, you've blessed me for 49 years. So God, since you bless me, I'm gonna take some time and I'm gonna bless you with what you like. I used to tease my girls that I was gonna buy them. I would take them to the store and I'd find something I liked in my size and I said, look, I'm gonna buy this for you. Daddy, I don't like it. It doesn't fit. I like it, it fits me. Telling God how he ought to like the way we worship is like me buying a gift for someone for myself. It's not about me. It's about him. 
Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 and 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. We praise him in the dance, Psalms 149 and 3. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with a timbrel and harp. 2 Samuel 6, 14, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Psalms 30 and 11, thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing and has put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Luke 6 and 23, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. When we consider the reward, great is our reward in heaven. When you stop and think about heaven, eternity in the presence of the Lord. He said, when you think about the reward, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For great is your reward in heaven. Now, that's an awesome verse by itself, but when you read above that, you find out that Jesus was telling his followers that they were gonna come, there was going to come a time when people would hate them because of Christ and that they would be persecuted because of him. And he said, they're going to hate you, they're going to persecute you, but rejoice in that day. When you're going through your trial, rejoice in that day. When you're struggling, facing the enemy, going through problems, sickness, disease, financial trouble, relationship issues. When you're going through all that, just when you deal with all those issues, rejoice in that day. Don't let the day take your praise. Because if you let the day take your praise, you may not get your reward in heaven. And so when you're going through trouble and trial on earth, rejoice in that day because great is your reward in heaven. He asked for us to worship when we're under duress. How much more should we praise him when we're not? A.W. Tozer said this, worship is the missing jewel of the church. He said, we have become a generation of people who worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. God help us. I'm almost done. That ought to be a sign. That ought to be time for worship. Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. What a terrible time it was in the nation of Israel. The prophet looked over the land and saw such a difficult, terrible circumstance. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. One of the most discouraging verses in the Bible. Everything that we rely on, everything we rely on to feed our families, to keep our strength, it's gone. No fig tree, no fruit in the vines, no olives, no grain in the fields, no flocks, no herd, it's all gone. Everything in this world that we ever relied on has been taken. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. 
God does not give us permission to quit praising him based on our circumstances. He never says, oh, I understand. It's so, it's so rough. I, I understand. I understand. Look, I know there's a pandemic. And I, look, I know, I know you've been locked in. And I, I know the, the, the economy's struggling. I know there's political unrest. And I know, you, I know you don't feel good. And I know you're tired. And I, look, you, you, it's okay. It's okay. You don't need to go out of your way to worship me tonight. It's all right. No, yet I will rejoice. I will join the God of my salvation. The only way I'm coming out of this, the only way I'm going to be saved, the only way I'm going to be delivered, the only way I'm going to get out of this is by praising God. I'm not going to rejoice. I'm not going to get it by moping and crying and belly aching and complaining and, 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 and whining around. Nope. If I'm going to get out of this, it's going to be because I praise God. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He is the only way I'm going to get through this. The word rejoice, he said, I will rejoice. It, is, it means to jump for joy. The word joy, I will joy in the God, it means to spin around. He said, I'm going to praise God. I'm not going to have, I'm going to starve to death, it looks like. I'm not going to have my strength for long. So while I do have it, I'm going to give it to God. Amen. Hebrews 13 and 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Psalms 150, 1 through 5, our last passage. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. The last time... I checked. You have to make noise to make noise. That's a revelation, isn't, it? isn't that powerful? Somebody ought to just say, Praise the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. When you come into the presence of the Lord, don't come empty. Come with the praise on your heart. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It's he that has made us and not we ourselves. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So here's what we're going to do. Right where you are, I want you to just thank God for something right now. Just, just thank him for something. God, I thank you for my family. God, I thank you for my church family. I thank you, God, for your mercy and grace. Come on, when you do that, you're going into his gates and into his courts with praise. God, I praise you for your goodness. God, I praise, come on, Lord, I praise you for your loving kindness, and I praise you because you are awesome and great. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. God, your name is awesome. God, your name is great. God, your name is worthy to be praised. God, your name is worthy to be lifted. Come on, I'm, 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 I'm kind of trying to guide you through the gate here a little bit. 
Lord, I, I, your, your name is worthy, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Your praise will take you into the presence of the Lord. Your praise will take you. Your praise will take you into the presence of the Lord. Stand with me tonight. Anybody have a, anybody have a, a and, and I'm not going to ask you to say it. I'm not going to require you to say it at all. But anybody have some special need that's been on your mind and heart uh, that you need God to move on? There's, there's a handful. When the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, pray after this manner. Our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Right. Hallowed be thy name. That was a worship. That was a prayer, a, a, a time of praise before, before they begin to ask. Can I, can I challenge you when you, before you pray and say, God, give me, give me, give me. God, I need this. I need that. God, do this, do that. God, here's my list. Come on, heavenly Santa Claus, here's my list. Give me all this stuff by the 25th. Before you do that, God, your name is worthy to be praised. I thank you, God. I praise you. God, I've got needs, and I'll talk about those in a minute. But before I get to those, I just want you to know I love you, and I worship you, and I praise you. God, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, I thank you, God, because you hear and answer prayer and make praise a part of your prayer life. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you, God, for your word and for your people. Thank you, God, because you have revealed to us the power of praising you. I thank you, God, that we can praise you in your sanctuary, but also everywhere where your power is. I thank you, God, and I praise you for your mighty acts, but I don't only praise you for what you do. I praise you because of your excellent greatness, because of how awesome you are and how wonderful you are. And so, God, I pray that we will always be a people of praise, that God will take this lesson tonight, this Bible study, and will incorporate it into our spirit. And praise will be more than an emotional response to music, but it will be a mindful, intentional action on the part of your people with a mind that understands how great you are and how you deserve it and how worthy you are. And so, God, when I come to church, I praise you not when I get caught up with the emotion of a song I like, not when I get caught up with the emotion of the music and the other people doing it, but I praise you with intent in my spirit because I understand how great you are and how much you love it when we worship you. And so God, before I leave tonight, one more time, I thank you. I praise you. I worship you and I glorify your name. I thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness to me. I thank you, God, for the truth and for the blood. And I thank you for the cross and your grace. I thank you, God, because you reached for me when I wasn't reaching for you and you made a way when there seemed to be no way. And I've just come to remind the church 
to be people of praise, the how and the why of our worship. Can we close with a hand clap of praise for the Lord tonight? God, I thank you. God, I thank you. God, I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, if somebody praises you, give them strength for their journey right now. Oh, God, I worship you, Lord. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. Amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed in the name of the Lord.